Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Acts chapter 21. Acts 21 really has two parts. The first part is building up to the uh, trip to Jerusalem. And the other part is what happens when uh, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Uh, so let's start with um, the opening, let's say, 16 verses of Paul going to Jerusalem. And one of the things you need to note there in verse 1 is the we statements. Uh, verse 1 and when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by straight course. So um, I always like to point these out. Again, we're looking at eyewitness testimony, which is fairly unique in ancient uh, material. And you're going to see just how detailed it is. I don't want to spend um, or read all of the, the little detail. You can do it yourself. We'll go down to verse 4. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on, on board the ship, and they returned home. Um, so notice you, you have here is, as we saw in Ephesus, everywhere they go, people understand that what Paul is going to discover in Jerusalem is chains and likely death. And so uh, there is sadness that they believe this is the last time they're going to see Paul. And so we see the entire Christian community coming together uh, to encourage, to comfort, and to bless each other, even through grief and tears. Um, and then we, they travel some more. Verse 8, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. He, of course, one of the deacons, it says there, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Uh, so, so this is Philip who led the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ um, that we saw several chapters ago. Verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. So you can see this, this is a, a really insightful passage about the struggle between the will of God and the warnings of God um, and, and the voice of the church and the voice of, of other brothers and sisters. There's a lot going on here. Uh, but let us mostly see that Paul's courage, uh, knowing the threat that awaited him, he still went. Uh, there is something there lacking in our age today, isn't it? That despite the threats awaiting for him, he still marched towards Jerusalem. And of course, there's similarities, I think on purpose, that Luke is drawing the parallels between Jesus marching to Jerusalem, knowing what was awaiting him, and the disciples warning him, and Paul marching towards Jerusalem, and his disciples and the church warning him. Well, he gets to uh, Jerusalem, and starting in verse 17, things start out well, but it doesn't take long before things start to collapse. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Yeah, so uh, remember Paul had raised money. Uh, for the believers in Jerusalem suffering persecution from the Gentile churches. This was a goodwill offering uh, to, to, to help mend some fences between Jews and Gentiles. Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. 
and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God. Now, this is all good news, right? The, the leadership of the church is saying that this is good news. We are seeing the work of the gospel spread among the nations. Isn't what God doing incredible? Well, then we get, uh, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or a walk or turn our custom. So, so notice what you have here. Paul is welcomed with open arms. Paul is criticized openly. Both. Right? Welcome to leadership, essentially. Right? Um, there's always, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's a lot of people getting saved, but he's going about it the wrong way. Um, so, so Paul is immediately welcomed and uh, challenged. Uh, verse uh, 22. So, But you see the accusation is, you're going to the Gentiles and telling them to forsake Moses, to forsake Judaism. You've betrayed your tribe, your race, your, your ethnicity, your religion, your everything. Now, this is tribal language. We, we see this today. We're seeing it regarding race. We're seeing it regarding gender. We're seeing it regarding political ideology. That you cannot reach over to the other aisle, whatever that other aisle might be. Uh, this is what tribalism does. Religion feeds that. Uh, so this is why, again, I think wokeism is religion. Um, so don't you dare have a conversation with someone who disagrees with you. Otherwise, you become that person. Um, but verse 22 says, What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses, so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. Now what they're describing here is the Nazarite vow. Some have a lifelong Nazarite vow, the most famous being Samson. Uh, Samuel, I believe, is, is another one that does lifelong uh, Nazarite vow. Um, John the Baptist might be one, um, but it's it's... it's Anyways, um, but these are usually temporary. Um, so what you would do is you would shave your head, your beard, and everything, and then you wouldn't touch a razor again for however long. So, you, so your hair and your beard would grow during the, the time that you take this vow. Um, and there were other things that you had to do uh, for purity and, and for whatnot. Uh, so, so they're saying, look, do the Nazarite vow, which is extreme is not the word I'm looking for, but I'm lacking a better word. It's a more extreme way of showing your dedication to the Lord and to Judaism in, in particular. Do that with these four other guys. Pay all their expenses. Go out of your way to show that you're not this monster caricature that's been drawn of you. Uh, we, we do stuff like this all the time today. Um, the issue isn't that Paul has to do it, but that it is something he chooses to do and welcomes the advice because he doesn't want to bring shame upon the gospel. Because the gospel isn't an enemy of Judaism. It comes out of Judaism, but it, it rightly corrects Judaism, I would say. Uh, so Paul uh, recognizes he's an ethnic Jew. He, he respects the religion, the faith, still follows much of it, uh, other than maybe the dietary laws. But um, what he's most concerned with is 
uh, bringing shame upon the gospel, bringing disrepute upon the gospel. So Paul cares little about himself and his own reputation, but he cares much about the purity of the gospel. So he, he goes and, and does this. Well, it isn't, isn't enough. This is the problem with mobs, right? Now, if you, if you uh, join us for Friday's devotion, we talked about the mob in Ephesus. And there's a lot of parallels with the leftism that we have today. It's striking that, that you have paganism, a pagan mob in chapter 20. You have a very religious mob in chapter 21. Uh, now, I think religion is driving both of them. It's obvious in the text, obvious in our culture today. But you are getting the same mentality on both the left and the right in America today. Uh, both are guilty of protesting the last two elections in pretty violent ways. Right? So, um, so we see both conservative religious ideologues in chapter 21. We see more liberal-minded pagans in chapter 20. Uh, but they're both doing the same thing and both endanger Paul's safety. Here in chapter 21, they actually arrest him. Now, chapter 21 bleeds into chapter 22, so Paul's going to give one of his long defenses. We get several of these in the remaining chapters. And we'll be done with Acts early next week, I believe, if, if my math is correct. Well, I just want to highlight one last thing. Verse 38, are you not the Egyptian? He's asked by... Um, one of the arresting officers, if, if you will. Are you not the Egyptian, then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Now, uh, this stuck out to me. I've read through Acts a million times, of course, but I don't remember reading this. So I, I did a little bit of research background. I won't go into a lot of detail. Uh, this is something that actually happened in history. Uh, an Egyptian stirred up the crowd, got a lot of people worked up, and here it says um, that... 4,000 men were involved. Josephus tells us the same event, and he says it's 30,000. Most historians believe that Josephus has a habit of exaggerating numbers and events, so the Bible is probably more conservative here um, with the 4,000 as opposed to the 30,000. But you can see that that uh, several uh, hundreds of people were arrested, hundreds of people were killed during, during that, that revolt, and the Egyptian and some of his leading men escaped, and no one knew where they went. So this guy thinks he caught the Egyptian, right? Here He's going to get all, all this fame and glory because he's the guy that, that caught him. Uh, and, of course, that's not Paul. But you can see how easy it was to associate Christianity stirring up the crowd because, you know, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and violent revolutionaries. By the way, you're doing that now. If you adopt Christian theology and the hope of Christ, you will be and are considered among the worst in our nation. Right now, that is the case. Now, we may look at that and say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men is not these violent things. But in the mind of the hardened heart, there is no difference. Paul is experiencing this here. And he will defend himself all the way to Rome, which is where the book of Acts is heading. And Lord willing, we'll finish this part of the story tomorrow. See you then.